0: Hello, peoples, and welcome to Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. I am your host for the day, Ryan Siebold, coming at you with another, I got five on it, five-minute mini-review. Today's film is 2023's Knock at the Cabin. Google has this described as, while vacationing at a remote cabin in the woods, tale as old as time, a young girl and her parents are taken hostage by four armed strangers who demand they make an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse. Confused, scared, and with limited access to the outside world, the family must decide what they believe before all is lost. No pressure, bud. This was directed by Prince of Pennsylvania, M. Night Shyamalan, on a budget of $20 million and brought in a budget of fifty-four million. So I guess he gets to make another film. Good on him. This is reportedly M. Night's shortest script. The film is only an hour and 40 minutes, which you take away the titles and the credits and you're looking at about an hour and a half. This movie wastes no time. You are shot out of a cannon in the first 10 minutes and you are right in the meat and potatoes of this movie, which I loved. It wastes no time. There's very little fat, although there are a couple things I take exception to, which we'll get to very shortly. But yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. This was based on a novel, Cabin at the End of the Woods by Paul Tremblay. The novel was written during the 2016 election and dealt with themes of fear-driven decisions, conspiracy theories, and the ever-present question in today's society, what is truth? If you recall, the 2016 election here in the States between Clinton and Trump was when fear-driven decisions were really at a fever pitch. Social media was running at full steam, and so many decisions that were affecting our day-to-day life were being governed by things like religious deities, for example, and religious morality, i.e. same-sex marriage or abortion, things like that or involve stakes like, quote-unquote, the end of the world, like climate change. (laughs) These were big, big times. And Paul Tremblay took all that pressure and all those stakes and bottled it up into a tiny little cabin in the woods and put the onus on a same-sex couple to make this decision of a Sophie's choice of who lives or dies to save the world. To that end, the book is very much more ambiguous about the resolve of the plot, doesn't wrap things up in a nice little bow and leave you feeling good at the end, You don't really know what's going to happen, apparently, where the film has more of a direct conclusion. I can't say one's better than the other. I kind of prefer the ambiguous side of things a little more just for myself. But some people hate that kind of thing. They don't want to be left hanging and they want a button on things. So, yeah, Shyamalan gives that to you. But overall, it's a small, intimate moral quandary with stakes that affect all of humanity. It poses the question, would you sacrifice a loved one to save the world? But you have to make this decision spontaneously, right now, in this cabin, with very little evidence other than what you provided from these strangers who just broke into your place and are holding makeshift weapons. It's a solid premise that once again takes M. Night to the realm of Twilight Zone vibes, which I love. That's where he really, really shines for me. Now, the script can be a little lackluster, and the flashbacks felt ham-fisted as hell. But the film being so short, I could see where the filmmakers felt they would have to beef up these characters a little bit to show their motivations a little, so I get why they're there. It also gives you a little bit of time to breathe in the intense moments because it gets pretty heated inside that cabin, so taking a little break from the cabin and going into these flashbacks definitely provided some relief. But what carries the film outside of the premise are the performances. It's crazy. You spend the entire film with seven actors and all of them delivered. Your two main protagonists, played by Ben Aldrich and Jonathan Grohl, definitely served their purpose well, allowing the viewer to put themselves in their shoes, both in the would-you-do-this column and the hell-no-let-em-burn column. Cases were made throughout the film for both sides of this equation, and it definitely gives you those moments of the choose-your-own-adventure, turn-to-page-153-if-you-want-to-let-the-world-burn kind of thing. I really, really enjoyed those moments. But aside from the protagonists, the standouts here were the home invaders, subbing in for the four horsemen of the apocalypse of sorts. They're played by Dave Batista, Rupert Grint, Abby Quinn, and Nikki amuka Bird. The job is entirely theirs to convince our protagonist, and by proxy, you the viewer, that the end is nigh and only you can sacrifice to stop it. How very smoky the Bear of them. But if these characters were in any way unconvincing, the movie fails in my eyes. One by one, each of them plead their case knowing that if our protagonists don't make a choice, then they themselves will be martyred and a plague of sorts will be unleashed upon the world, killing entire populations. No big whoop. Biblical revelation type stuff here. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. And if the standouts were the home invaders, the standout of the standouts is Dave Batista who despite his giant lumbering presence shows such a vulnerability and emotional softness that you can't help but believe him. Again, the script isn't Shakespeare here, but Batista really drives this part home. Honorable mention, by the way, goes to child actor Kristen Cooey. This was her first film role and she opens the movie along with Batista as they collect grasshoppers in the woods outside the titular cabin. Their exchange here in this opening scene immediately injects a ton of heart and emotion into what becomes a very intense and scary situation just moments after this. Kristen Cooey continues throughout the film to ground it, reminding our characters and us as the viewer of the innocence of humanity. It's really hard to be jaded about the fate the Earth deserves when you have an adorable seven-year-old there in the room. (laughs) Good luck with that. Now, one quick thing I thought was interesting was how the film pulled its punches a bit. Pretty much all the violence happens off-screen. On one hand, I think this worked well to keep the viewer a little more engaged in the decision process of sorts. Like... If you saw the brutal killings of each of these cultist home invaders, you might take more of a screw these psychos mentality, <laughs> and if you showed more of the aftermath of the plagues, um, it might sway your hero complex to the other side of the pendulum. So I get kind of why they did it, but I also wonder if it wouldn't have raised the stakes a bit more and driven the intensity up to 11 if they would have like shown both. But then the film opens up with Kristen Cooey catching grasshoppers in a jar, and she's telling them she doesn't want to hurt them. She just wants to study them for a little while. And I couldn't help but think that was a message to us as the viewer from old boy Shyamalan. A cool little wink and a nod to the ride we embark on immediately after that line is delivered. Like, hang on, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to pull my punches, but I am going to study you for a little while and see how you feel about these things. Now, from a technical standpoint, aside from the acting, the department heads crushed here. The film was shot about an hour outside of Philadelphia. M. Night Shyamalan uh, loves himself some Pennsylvania. And the entirety of the film, aside from the flashbacks, which I kind of zoned out for a little bit, all takes place in one location of the cabin. It's basically a very intense stage play, but I never felt bored or stifled by that which is not an easy thing to do being confined into such a small space for an hour and a half. The film was shot to all hell, but due to scheduling conflicts, this was shot by two cinematographers, Jaron Bloschke and Lowell Meyer, both of whom worked with Shyamalan on his Apple TV show Servant. As a quick aside, this was made at the same exact time as Servant, and M. Night is notoriously hands-on with his projects, so this was a bit maddening for him going back and forth between projects making so many creative decisions. But yeah, the camera work is amazing. Considering there's such little space to work with and most of the film is shot in close-ups, you'd think this would be very limiting and boring. But you may recognize Jaron Blaschke's name as Robert Eggers' DP who shot The Lighthouse. And let me tell you, if there's one DP who could crush some tight spaces and limited cast, it's frickin' that guy. That's the guy you want for a job like this. For the nerds in the audience, this was shot on Kodak Filmstock. The entire film was shot on film on an Airy 235. Panavision Panaflex Lightweight 2, and Panaflex Millennium XL 2, with Panavision Primo and C-Series lenses. My first adjective is Twilight Zone, because for me this was a return to form for M. Night, back to his Rod Serling style roots. This is where he shines and does some of his best work, it's also where I like Jordan Peele to be as well. I'm a big Rod Serling fan, not every Twilight Zone episode's a banger, not every M. Night Shyamalan movie's a banger, he's made some big old duds. But this one is his return to form to proper, proper Twilight Zone styles, and I love it. My next is Decisions, Decisions, because it does a really good job of putting you in the pilot seat and kind of making you wonder what you would do in a situation like that. And the last is The Journey, because the ending for me kind of felt a little flat. Those are the two things that didn't really sit right with me were the flashbacks. It felt a little ham-fisted, although I get why they were necessary. In the very, very end, the chayamalan tied up with a little bow. I would have preferred a little more ambiguity that the book provided, apparently. But I get it. It's not a bad ending. I just loves me a good ambiguous ending. So for me, this was more about the journey than the destination. I'm giving this one a B B+. It doesn't quite get up into the A ranks but man is it close I really had a good time with this one I would recommend this to most everyone unless you're like very very squeamish most of the violence does happen off camera so if you're just not into an intense thriller and it's just not your bag you run a little higher on the anxiety scale of things maybe this one isn't for you but uh, yeah I really enjoyed this one B plus well that's it for me catch us next week on another episode of s